In this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss criticisms. Is it always negative? How do we take it as open source projects, creators, or even as users of a project? This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 24 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse, forums, Telegram groups, Discord server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network. I'm Nate, a Linux, fitness, and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. And to uh, buttress up against that almost unhealthy obsession, I purchased a one-year subscription to SUSE after having a discussion with Neil on the uh, DL After Show this past Sunday. So my nice. intention is to compare it, yeah, against OpenSUSE, Leap, because that is uh, on the same code base. It's been advertised and talked about how you can take OpenSUSE at Leap. All you have to do is just kind of shift the repositories and you can you would have regular SUSE. So it makes it very easy for a client to move them from OpenSUSE to SUSE with that, that kind of support. It was uh, $50 for a year. There's no way to actually support OpenSUSE but uh, talking to someone who is part of the OpenSUSE project, he says the best way to support something like Fedora or OpenSUSE is to buy or to, to basically um, purchase a, a subscription from the parent company. That's, Which that that's hard majority. to do if you want to support Fedora, right? Because Red Hat is way more expensive than that. But with SUSE, it sounds like it's a feasible way to still support yeah, your, the free version of it. Right. So it was 50 bucks. I mean, that's less than what I give to the, the, the KDE Foundation or whatever it's called in, in a year. So that seems pretty reasonable to me. I guess we'll see how it goes. I, I just downloaded it yesterday. I don't even know what day it is right now. I just downloaded <laughs> it. I haven't actually tried it. I'm going to put it on, on hardware. I want to see how the process goes. I'm thinking of actually doing like a live stream, a, a, a SUSE experience from an open SUSE user. Maybe even doing a whole review and everything else. I think it'd be fun. Nobody ever talks about SUSE. That's Notice. super cool. So you're going to have a dedicated computer just for SUSE? Yes. It's one I'm looking at. Well, not, not this one I'm working on, but the one next to the one I'm working on. See how it goes on that. It's, it's a little bit older of a machine, not particularly very powerful. So I yeah. guess it's, it's a good test to see how, uh, how comparable it really is. Awesome. So Matt, what have you been up to? I have been doing lots of editing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yes. What have you been well, editing? I'm just curious. These weird things <laughs> called podcasts for, for, for a show. Pod- I've heard of these podcast things before. Yeah. Yes, so have I. Still readjusting some of my workflow stuff in Plasma. Trying out a few different applications as far as editing to see what which works better for how the show's recorded and that kind of stuff. Generically, you know, the defaults usually Audacity. So I wanted to try Ocean Audio for kind of more of a multi-layered editor. Just how the show is recorded and stuff. You have to multi-layer track stuff, everything. I was curious to see how Ocean Audio was and still up in the air on the verdict on that. I didn't do a lot of testing with it. I just wanted to see how it would handle. Is it up in the air because you're still learning the different quirks of the application itself. Kind of like what we discussed last week. I liked it's cleaner, it's simpler than say Audacity, but it's learning the application. Like yeah. I've used it before, but it's usually like one track recording, not multi-layered. It, it just takes some getting used to and how uh, Ocean Audio works. For me, I, I prefer the interface much more than I do for Audacity, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. What have you been up to, Wendy? Overall, it's been a pretty slow week for me, mostly just taking care of my family, my fish and myself. Um, 
I have done a little bit of playing with Audacity. There's been some things that needed to be recorded and then sent to you or Michael later on during the week. And that's allowed me some time to, to play with Audacity myself. And I'm getting more comfortable with some of those basic audio editing things, cutting things out, moving things in. One of the things I did is I recorded something for this show, but I had Hardware Addict's name included in it. I did not want to record the whole thing. So it made me go back and record just the beginning part of it and splice it in. So that that was an interesting way of, okay, I know what I want to do. Now I need to go figure out how to do it. Yeah, definitely. Having to actually be like, oh man, I don't want to have to re-record all of this. <laughs> Especially in like your case where it was just that like little sliver. Right. Do I want to sit here and if, especially if you're doing like multiple tracks and everything and they're, they're very time-based, it's like, oh man, I have to move, shift all these tracks over like X, Y, or Z amount of seconds now to connect all the audio up again. <laughs> it's really annoying. Being able to do what, what you did, you, you find it's like, okay, that just saved me a whole bunch of extra work. Yes, it did. Because the first take is not always what you want, especially when you're recording by yourself. The wonderful thing about this podcast and Hardware Addicts is as we're talking and we're in discussion, you know, there's a whole lot that, yeah, we may slip up, we may say something wrong, but that's just part of the discussion. When you're recording something separately, it it becomes this, okay, no, that didn't work. I didn't say that right. I got to redo it. So then you end up with multiple takes and I'd finally gotten a take that I'd really liked. I'm like, yeah, I'm comfortable pushing this out. And then I sent it to you and started listening back to it and went, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> and you caught it before I even said anything. I was, I think at mid response and you're like, okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I enjoy hearing about how people are trying new things because really that's that's really what everything we do is fans of technology, Linux users, you know, whatever we are that we go and do. We like to explore and tinker and kind of see what's out there to broaden our, our view, our skills and everything else. So that's really cool. It, it's kind of like you, you, you taking the dive into Roth, uh, was it Roth therapy last week? Yep. What, yeah, what is absolutely. it that you were using to record like what would what application were you or applications were you playing with uh right now i'm using audacity i've used ocean audio before in recording with hardware addicts there has been an issue and i haven't my bad not followed filed a bug or checked to see if it's changed recently um but there was like this really serious delay between what you said and actually seeing it in waveform in the application but otherwise i was absolutely loving ocean audio hmm. So recording isn't that big of a deal. Like, right, I can hit the record button and then send the file on. The learning part for me was, okay, how am I supposed to edit this? I'm just going to throw this out there. For me, I, I like to use for recording Audacity and do like the rough editing in Audacity. I've tried Audiophonic, you know, for like, you know, cleaning up and stuff too. Um, I've, I've used that for post-processing. But I, I actually do that my editing for a lot of my stuff in Caden Live, believe it or not. Because really? Because it's a non-destructive editor. Right, yes. I can then cut up pieces that I want, move them around, 
shift them, put the music I want wherever I want, however I, I see fit, and it makes it really easy to slide and move and do whatnot. Now, you can do some of those things with Audacity, but I, I found the interface to be, I found it to not work quite as well for me and how I think and moving things around. So One of the things I've loved when messing with Kitty and Live, the, the little bit that I have, is I really like how they work in transitions, how it's so simple to get some of that stuff set just from your different tracks instead of having to go into settings above it. I bet that would make audio really nice to work with. This episode of DLN Extend is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewall, load balancers, and so much more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as as virtual private cloud in all regions free of charge lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container registry is now available to all users as an early availability release. Easily store and manage private container images and, and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean Kubernetes. New quick install droplets have been added to DigitalOcean Marketplace, Jitsi, Minecraft Server, and others. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 a month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln, and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started with on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. So, like, in any portion of life though there was some great community feedback in areas that people thought our criticisms of the way Linux Mint was approaching the snaps topic was more negativity and less criticism I enjoyed seeing this conversation because I think it's something that should be had the overall discussion was, you know, of course, between community members on the discourse forum. And that's one reason why we have it and why we talk about it here is because these conversations between all of us are extremely important. And the feedback that was coming from one of the community members was that we were really negative on Mint. And so be- between that discussion, what ended up happening is both sides kind of talked it out and came to an agreement of, yeah, I could totally see how you were thinking that we were very negative and, and here's the side that we were coming from. So that criticism was really important to help us better the show. Maybe one of our, our criticisms of Mint was that we didn't like the wording that was using. That, that was basically the overall gist that I thought come from all of us was it's not necessarily what they said or how they want to run their distro but the wording that was used. And sometimes, especially when you're talking about really heated discussions like that, not only in this, but other parts of the community, we can say things with maybe a little bit more flair or, you know, things can be taken differently in in the context of when and how you're listening to it. So for one, thanks so much for that discussion that was in the discourse form. But then it brings up the fact of this isn't anything new in the community. We have constructive criticism all over for years. Sometimes it's not so constructive. So how does that work? How do we better ourselves? How do we take that? I don't consider myself someone that really has feelings, as it were. I don't get upset about things. You know, for instance, Matt, you've uh, you've, you've criticized my my favorite distribution a lot, OpenSUSE. And does it upset me? No, not at all. I would never criticize. (laughs) You have valid criticisms of things that why you don't like it. You know, the the Wi-Fi setup tool in the uh, installation is, you know, it's a little bit convoluted. And that's a valid criticism. And there's other things, you know, the... um, 
know, the, the way the app stream is set up on the on the software site, you know, there's not pictures for everything. So they just have kind of a generic open SUSE, whatever there. You know, that's a that's a valid criticism. That's something that should be corrected. Criticisms are naturally negative, but that's not necessarily negativity, if that makes any sense. To, totally. To clear yeah. on your words and on your intent, you you identify something that's not good. Let's say you are planing down some uh some landscaping stairs and and you don't you want to get rid of a, a, a rise you know, so no one trips over anything if you identify there's a, a trip hazard a bump you know and that needs to be corrected it's not a criticism saying hey you did a bad job i hate these stairs it's hey can you fix that little problem yeah sure got it you know and then and then you're off to the races it's it's nothing more than smoothing out issues that are, are rough or or something about you know a project that you don't like or they, that you don't that you think could be better i should say when i'm talking about something i go from that perspective always it's not i'm never saying you know oh it's bad it shouldn't exist go away what i'm saying is okay this is good but here's an area that i do not particularly appreciate that's always how i approach everything you know it's not it's not because i'm angry or vindictive or want to tear anything down but rather it's i care enough about a project to say this is what i have a problem with like you pointed out i've i've criticized OpenSUSE at least specifically around the installer mostly not so much appstream but at least every me, week yeah <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Only because it's you, and I know it's it's just a nice in joke between you and me as far as why I personally fact, can't why I personally can't use it. Like that's if just you stopped criticizing OpenSUSE, then I would think that you stopped loving me. That's the problem. <laughs> so if you ever stop, that's where the problem is going to rise. Up and, and I'll be like, he wow. would think that you're sick, and there's a problem. Or- or maybe I've done something to offend you. And I'm like, how could I possibly offend you? What have I done? Could have offend- I mean, he doesn't get offended, but he stopped making fun of me. There's something wrong. So, yeah. But I've also had criticisms on elementary OS for not having a dark mode, or I've had criticisms yeah. on the defaults in plasma, you know, the, the blinding whites that you get on, on a KDE Neon or a fresh install on any Arch-based distro. I mean, th- those are criticisms based on my use case. They're, they're, yeah. they're solo criticisms. Those are not negative in and of themselves. They're reasons why I personally cannot use something. So those criticisms are given based off not just my use case, but potentially somebody else who might have similar use cases. I use dark modes and dark themes and all the other stuff because I am sensitive to the ultra bright whites of a lot of distros choose to use. I'm not the only one. I know there are a ton of people in the community that use dark themes or dark I'm one modes. Of them. Like, like yep, seriously, if you if you look at any posts from like the Linux gamers stuff on Facebook to screenshots in our own community forums, how many people are using a light theme? No, I do have to say, in all fairness, there was one theme I saw was uh, you know, from a female that had a really cool pink theme, and it wasn't a dark theme. But I thought that was pretty cool. And I, I set my daughter's computer up that way and she loves it. Why well, I might not appreciate that or like my eyeballs might not. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you are able to take something that others might not use that for some for gain or something that appeals to, in your case, your daughter. So these are not just criticisms about, oh, I don't like this because this is the same shtick that you get from a lot of the 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 YouTubers who look at Lennox and just go, oh, it sucks. And you're like, right. can I have some, why? Con- can I have some context? Yes, <laughs> exactly. So it's like that way we can fix it. You know, when we're in it, we can at least 
look at it a little bit differently. We like, well, pulse audio could be a little better. It's good, but it could be better. Here's where it could be better. That's the difference though, between just being maybe negative and having it be a constructive criticism of here's what's not working or here's what I need and why. The why makes a huge difference in this discussion. The why being the, which is the context portion. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people don't seem to always give the context portion, which is kind of, it doesn't help. It's frustrating. Make, it, it's frustrating because it doesn't help make the thing better. Yeah. It just sits as a problem. And I don't, that is something I don't get why people are okay with like when we talked about mint and their view on snaps we we constantly said it's their distro do what you right. will it's the approach you take to a lot of these things well it like, was it was the terminology right so and that's something that we maybe as community members in these discussions when we're giving criticism or taking criticism need to think about the language being used. If you're using things that sound hostile, that are looking to cause a fight, you're most likely going to get a fight instead of a discussion. Whereas if something, sometimes though, I mean, I, I do take it, and this brings also back to episode 22, and one of the comments that we had on what applications are missing in Linux, and they were getting into this UX UI discussion. And the sometimes constructive criticism is given, and the person receiving it thinks, you hate my work and you don't like what I'm doing. And those are times that it doesn't matter whether it's as creators or open source projects, maybe we need to just take a step back and say, they're not targeting me personally. They're wanting to help make this better. Some of that is the approach to how the criticism is given. That also plays a big key part into it. We have to help people understand that the criticism we're giving is because we care. We, we want the project to grow, be better. You just want the, the project or the product to be the best that it can be. I think just because there's a UX or a UI criticism, sometimes people are like, oh, that's just superficial. But like, no, it's not just superficial. It's a criticism based on the fact that we want to see this grow and go to other people and other people using it. And that's why we make constructive like, hey, this is why from a UI point of view, this doesn't work well or you know, whatever. The community sometimes can't take criticism and sometimes can't give criticism in like the constructive way it needs to give it and it can't take the the criticism in a constructive way to do something with it. Definitely a work in progress for all of us. Exactly. One project that got an absolute ton of criticism and I think most of it was not constructive was Unity and then after it left, after it was no longer the desktop for Ubuntu, then I heard all these screaming and cries about how they miss Unity. So is that one of those cases where there may have been issues or flaws that needed worked out and changed and the community could have done better in how it gave the criticism? to keep that project going as maybe the main uh, desktop environment for Ubuntu? I, I think part of the problem with Unity was from a from like a, a community perspective is it was an Ubuntu product. It, it really, it, it didn't catch on to other, uh, other distros. It didn't, there was, there yeah. was no, there was no push to make it more available, I guess. And I, I don't know why that is. I, I don't have any understanding. I didn't care enough to dig into but that. That's what I heard a lot that, you know, it wasn't, had maybe it been, there have been some efforts from outside of Ubuntu. It might have 
might be going today just as strong or it might not have never have shifted away because there was more there'd been more community involvement. I look at it a little bit like Ubiports project it, where when it was an Ubuntu touch only, there wasn't as much buy-in on the community, but as soon as it became more of a community project, now it's doing very well. But those that are really passionate and care and want to work on something, if, if they're the ones driving the train and they're inclusive to other people and other other ideas and so forth, I, I think then that's when a project can really you know take off. And 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 I think perhaps, and I'm not sure on this, this is just my 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 thought. People were resentful toward Ubuntu for going away from GNOME 2, but they had to. They didn't really have a choice. Yeah. It was being abandoned for GNOME 3. And then they held that against uh, you know, canonical. And then I think that when they went from Unity to GNOME 3, people just get resentful and just, you know, they want to throw rocks anyway. That to me is just, I think, I think everyone wants to, want, everybody seems to want to throw rocks at Ubuntu. And I'm not really sure why, maybe because they're on the top of the mountain, the, the, the big guy, and everyone you know, takes swings at the, at the, at the big guy. But, they take a um, lot of negativity from all over the Linux community. Un, and totally unnecessarily. That brings up the whole point of like, you could look at Ubuntu and Canonical and, uh, you know, Unity. You can find constructive stuff to say about how Unity was rolled out. It was rolled out very beta. I mean, it was rolled out in 11.04. It didn't become a solid product until about a year later with 12.04. It really hit its stride around 14.4, 16.4, somewhere in that was where it really hit its its target, I think, as far as maturity. And then yeah. obviously, well, about a year later, it was went bye-bye. But it yeah, it was gone. I think the biggest problem is that people can't separate the criticism of canonical to their dislike of canonical so like you might not agree with how the company manages ubuntu as a product because let's be clear canonical is a for-profit company with a product called ubuntu it just happens that that product is also open source so it's no different than a, a fedora which is basically say what you will it, it's a red hat product um open susa yeah. it, it might not be you know susa but and susa are very tied close together again there there were valid criticisms with the ubuntu and unity like the rollout the very beta nature of it how canonical has valid criticisms of canonical how how they've rolled out products like the amazon lens and other stuff those yeah, are their affiliate link and and some of that the affiliate link for ubuntu or when firefox rolled out the mr robot add-on knowing i mean when they did these things they had to have known that there was going to be some lashback for it but it was the the lashback was expected and, and some of it was mighty harsh but i think also in that there was maybe some trust breaks so both of these projects could have not only rolled them out differently, but tested the waters in the community more. So a lot of that that feedback and the criticism they got was a direct relationship to you are destroying the trust that we had with you. Even if you're information wasn't being sent anywhere, right? Ubuntu did not have an official tie with Amazon. It was an affiliate link to help support the Ubuntu project. Just the way it looked overall was, oh my gosh, you're sending our information to to Amazon. So projects really need to keep in mind of you are interacting with the Linux community who very much values their privacy and security. So how you go about these different things is going to affect the feedback or massive negativity coming back to you from the community. I don't disagree that the, the communication 
is needs to be very clear from any organization or company or whatnot of what they do. But at the same time, the community shouldn't automatically assume that the organization or company is trying to do evil. I mean, I think I think we're all on the same team here, and we're all trying to to push the the open source boundaries, as it were, and and build a better product that is driven by the community. These people have to eat as well. You have to experiment and find ways of what works. You know, maybe the Amazon link didn't work, at least not the way they rolled it out, perhaps. You no. Know? And, and maybe they should have communicated that a little bit better. You know, hey, we're trying to find ways to fund the project. And I think rather than just assume, you know, Ubuntu is trying to do awesome stuff, which is what yeah. we should all assume, that they're just trying to be awesome and pay their people so that people can make a living off of open source you know, projects, that, that maybe we should give them a little more slack too. All of these companies, we need to give them a little bit more slack than we give them. It's okay to question, but it's just, it's just not okay to be a unpleasant. You don't need to be a, a jerk about it. That's basically what you're saying is it's, it's okay to have a disagreement or not like how something is done. But you, when you are a blatant jerk about it, then it only causes more tension and strife in the community and does not help these open source software projects grow and doesn't help you as a user get more from them. It is good to disagree. It is good to have a disagreement. Yes. But mm-hmm. you can actually, you can disagree with somebody. Chances are you probably agree on 80 or 90% of, it, of things anyway. To just to, to disagree on, the, on that 10%, that is a good thing. That is a positive thing to have a disagreement. But mm-hmm. don't, you can also be friends and disagree with somebody. I mean, I, I disagree with, you know, Matt all the time, probably 80% of the time, but I think we're great friends. Well, I had a conversation with Michael the other day and it was a, a disagreement, a conversation on a disagreement. So, you know, talking and working things out and figuring out where the other person is and why they're there. These can be extremely fantastic conversations where both sides grow, but it does take both sides coming at it from this is where I am where are you and how do we see both of those sides? Never dehumanize your, never dehumanize. You know, we're all, you know, we all have something of value to contribute. And anytime somebody then like takes it and turns, turns you into something you're not, that that's really when you, when you cross over into wrong the line. Territory. Well, that that's almost kind of the thing though. It's like, there's a seg, you have to have both parties willing to listen. And sometimes the way some people communicate is not going to be how some people are used to communicating. You know, you, you have example, the Linus Torvalds way of, of approaching communication. Huge Pro- example. Yeah. You know, pri- <laughs> prior to him last year, t- taking some time to figure him out, himself out. Totally cool. Yeah. His approach was very to the point and crass. You at least knew where he stood with something. That's how he found his way of communicating with people was not probably the best way after a while. And that's totally okay. The thing that I find interesting is some of his interactions on like the mailing list and stuff. Now he gives a lot more thorough reasoning on why he does not like something. So it was a criticism that he took from other members of the kernel community, which, you know, it, it did take some time. Not all of us changed quickly. But after that, after he took that time to think about it, it is definitely that criticism has helped him make the kernel community that much better. He still is direct with how he is. It's just, that's him. But the approach to how he structures that 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 statement that he might have otherwise f- flown off the cuff with prior, it's a little, it's a lot more thought out. And here, bam, 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 here's my reasoning. And this is why it's just a flat yes or no. Yeah. And you, can, you cannot not appreciate that. 
because that, that shows girth as a person that shows a willingness to learn that, that that's a willingness to, to do what is necessary for you as a person, for you and your project, understanding that and taking and being active with that criticism that he had a long history of <laughs> being yeah. getting criticized for. <laughs> People don't do it fast or well in the beginning, but I think both parties have to try to understand, like you said, Wendy, where both sides are kind of coming from. And you have to they both have to be willing to engage to understand the other side and mm -hmm. sometimes and understand that how you might communicate something might not be how they communicate something. And you also have to look at, you know, whether it's Linus Torvalds or or any project, a person. We're all growing. Projects are growing. We are personally growing, trying to be better, at least I hope. And, yeah. and so there's going to be mistakes that are made. You, know, you might communicate incorrectly. You might say something wrong, make a bad business decision or organization decision. You can't hold the, you know, past transgressions or whatever against somebody. That doesn't, that doesn't make for a healthy future if you're constantly you know, dragging the past. So that uh, Linus has worked to improve himself. That's huge. He's had personal character growth in, and that's going to cause better growth within the, the Linux kernel. I believe it's going to have greater, con you know, the consequences are, are going to be, you know, maybe more cooperation, maybe things are more clarity on, on the direction of, you know, of where it's going to go and, and also better understanding of what, what Linus is thinking. You know, I would say better quality work because he has grown. There, there's always the other criticisms of, other people in the community that anytime you criticize something, it's always just going to be a negative aspect of it. And I, I'm going to kind of disagree with something that you said earlier, Nate. I don't view criticism as inherently negative. I view it as someone coming at something from a different angle that that person might not have seen. That's really what kind of how I view criticism. The approach to how that person comes at it might not always be the, the the straightest approach or the most or the most ear pleasing approach, and sometimes it requires a lot of shifting through noise to find the signal. In order for people to actually grow as people, they have to be willing to do some searching for that signal. And a lot of people just as soon as they hear something that is they view as even if it is constructive, as soon as they hear something that they view as negative in any connotation, they just shut down. They don't want to look for anything, and that doesn't help them grow. That doesn't help a project grow. That doesn't help other people grow and learn and come together and have a better understanding of not just a situation but people, each other, projects. I, I think we can need to a little more willing to the signal and the noise. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords. Not only does it have great features, Bitwarden is open source, has had third-party security auditing. Get started for free by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now and love it. Not only does it help me keep track of my hundreds of passwords, yes, there's hundreds because you should have a unique password for every website you go to, it also includes a random password generator. That way you can have a randomly generated password for each and every website that you use. Not only does it have great features, Bitwarden is open source, has had third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. Want some of their premium features like one gigabyte of file storage or vault health reports? Maybe you just want to support the project. 
That starts at only $10 a year, not $10 a month, not $10 a week, $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account right now. So an area that I've, I've been trying to grow and, and get better at is the idea of doing live streams. I'm, I'm not really, you know, I, I'm, I don't have the gift of gab quite as much as some people like you, Matt. And, uh, but one of the things <laughs> I wanted to do hey now. was to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I want to do is playing old game on the Commodore 64 on actual hardware called Mule. Kind of a, it's a strategy game. Uh, the, the premise is you you go on this planet, you choose your your character, like what what world you come from, and then you have to uh, do these different like grow food or or produce energy or um, or mine. And there's one other one, but we didn't actually do the expert one. Me, my my boy and I. But uh, so we were playing it, and he wanted to play it again. And I thought, well, you know what? This might be a fun live stream. So I set all the, I took all this time to set up OBS to do live stream. And then I have my, my basically my mixing computer, and then I have my streaming computer, which using the NDI plugin, I pipe it over the other computer, send the stream out to YouTube, so that I don't bog down the machine that's taking the you know the HDMI input and whatnot because it's you know it's not the most performant machine, probably getting a little bit long in the tooth and, and so forth. So I wanted to you know to, to distribute the the workloads anyway. So I start the stream, we start playing, and then the Commodore 64 takes a dump, locks up, uh, restart it. And it seems like there's a logic chip or the uh, the complex. I think it's the uh, C. It's called the CIA chip. I think it might be that one because the joystick stopped working, which has me leads me to believe that that chip is going bad. Now I do have uh, two other Commodore 64 also don't work, so I. I I can I have the extra parts. <laughs> I can I can make it work. And uh, and as a result, I've decided that I'm going to buy a proper soldering station so I can do soldering, you know, solder and desolder things a little Ooh. more easily. And uh, yeah, because what I have right now is a, a crappy Radio Shack special that I bought. I don't know, probably some 15, 16 years ago. And it's just, it's clumsy to handle the uh, the tip of it. I have to keep screwing the tip back in. It's not the right shape of the tip for doing different, you know, soldering or desoldering things. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be buying some equipment. Although I was really, really tempted at actually buying some, like like a the modern re-implementation of the Commodore 64, like a, a new board. But I don't, something about that doesn't, I mean, as much as I want that feels a little bit almost, I don't know, maybe wrong. I don't know. I, I can't figure it out yet. There, there's something that's this charming about the old hardware that's a little bit buggy rather than having new hardware that you know, using FPGA is, is all modernized and has, has everything all worked out for me so I have nothing to struggle against. I guess that's maybe, maybe, maybe I want the struggle against the old hardware. I don't really know what my problem is. Are we going to see you be the Lewis <laughs> Rossman for the Commodore 64s? I don't think so. There are, there are experts out there and I'm, that I, I'm learning from that, that I, 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 would, I basically be you know, 10% of that. Although I do believe you should be able to work on your Commodore 64. There's nothing um, like taking something you don't know how to do, figuring out how to make it work and fixing it. I mean, that is such a huge joy and accomplishment when you take old stuff, figuring out how to fix it. So yeah, you could buy the new board, but I think it's mostly the the joy of figuring out how to make it work that makes upgrading or fixing this old system so much better. The challenge. Like yeah. when I got the thing to be on the Wi-Fi, I could log into the Wi-Fi from a, a 37-year-old computer. There's something kind of neat about that, you know, taking this old thing and in in some ways keeping it relevant. So yeah, maybe maybe it's like a, a personal reflection thing. Like you know, I'm kind of turning into this old thing. Now I want to keep myself relevant. Maybe <laughs> my thing. You know, you, you reinvent yourself a little bit over time. You know, when you, you realize that maybe you're becoming a little disconnected, and uh, maybe I'm I'm manifesting that in old technology. I don't know. 
that could be it. Well, after diving into raw therapy last week, I decided I really need to take some time and what for one, dive into raw therapy more. I'd like to learn more of, of how it works and how the editing flow works inside of it. But there are so many other projects with photography that you can use on Linux. And in this part of, of growing and learning, I want to find out so much more on the photography side of software I'm not using and ways that it can make maybe the stuff I'm doing better and make my workflow better. I will be starting a thread on the discourse. So any of you out there that are using different software, you can drop a line as to what it is and what it does. And I would love to take some time to check it out and see it for myself. I, I do have a question because I know Darktable is kind of your 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 go-to for your photo, right. uh, your Lightroom replacement on Linux, essentially. How have you found interacting with raw therapy in comparison to Darktable? So far, comparison is really hard because I'm still trying to learn the software itself. So it's like you in the beginning trying to do the different layers of editing in Ocean Audio. It's hard to make an accurate representation of them both because I am still so much more comfortable in Darktable that it takes me no time to think about what I want to do. I know exactly what settings I want to change, where they are and how to set them that, you know, it, it takes me no time at all. And jumping into raw therapy, I'm not quite sure where things are. The tweaks on how to make changes on a photo, on a photo are different. Modules are worded different. So in order to get a a really good dark table is better. Raw therapy is worse. That, that's what you'd get right now because I don't know enough about raw therapy to go in, edit the same picture and see how those changes are different because I'm way too comfortable with dark table at the moment. I'm curious, time. what is the unique competitive advantage of raw therapy? Like what, why would, why are you even trying it? What sets it apart? One thing that raw therapy has that dark table doesn't is it really integrates well with GIMP. So you can take an image from raw therapy and directly import it into GIMP without having to go to your menu. It'll open it for you. That is an amazing feature. They have different settings. One thing I know about them is they really handle skin tones well. So I don't do a whole lot with portrait photography and that kind of thing. But I know that because the way it handles skin tones and being able to adjust the rest of the image, but still having this really nice natural looking skin tones, it's one of those places where two different projects can have different things that they're better at. And I would love to be able to see what are some of the things that maybe Darktable can do better or what are they doing fantastic and what are things that maybe raw therapy could do better and what are they doing fantastic. And this would help somebody coming into Linux photography or wanting to play with these different ways of raw photo processing. Well, these are my needs. Which one of these applications is better for my use case. Like, you know, if if uh, like raw therapy is better for skin tones, so doing family portraits, you might use raw therapy instead of dark table, but doing product photos, which I think you do a lot of, right? That might be more. Dark table may do a better job because of where it's tilted. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it would just be fun to to know more and know more about all the other software that's out there that I can use on my Linux system. 
I like hearing the hardware stuff on hardware addicts, but I also like hearing the software component that goes into people's workflows, especially when it comes to the creative stuff like photography and whatnot. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading that form. So Matt, what do you got going on? Where are you growing? I'm growing and experimenting with uh, Linux distributions like always. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What weird one did you find now? Or not necessarily weird, but off the cuff, something that's totally different. Well, the base isn't weird. It's just the desktop environment. <laughs> so so there's a desktop environment called Jade. I like the name. I dislike the acronym because it stands for just another desktop environment. Oh, <laughs> I, love, yeah. I love typical Linux acronyms. Um, Manjaro WebDAD is the name of the name of the the, uh, the, the distro. It Manjaro is the base with the Jade desktop on top of it. Trying to remember how he words this. It is a project that a developer made because he wanted to better his JavaScript and like internet technology skills for programming. So he decided so to make it's a, a personal de- project. It's a personal project, but That's he decided cool. to to make a desktop environment to see what he could do. They, they've had prior releases for it before. I think the last one though was like maybe 2018 was the last time it had been updated. But they re- he recently put out a new like test ISO beta Manjaro WebDAD. And it is a lot different than the old version. So it, it's been interesting exploring and experimenting with that. What um, did they update? What changed? Uh, just the whole UI paradigm example. If you calling it hot corners isn't quite accurate because it's more like hot sides <laughs> to, to, uh, Oh wow. Yeah. So, so like <laughs> if, if you slide the mouse up, it brings down all the application menus, like, like, uh, almost like Android, kind of or um, uh, menus on the side if you yeah. hit the the left side it brings up the settings and it just the way it interoperates is it's just so different than what your normal paradigm would be especially on a like desktop like it makes sense almost on a touchscreen device but from like a mouse perspective you're like this is really different how is that like uh different than the hot corners and sides that you would have in plasma just, just the way that just the way that um so like if you hit the top as an example it almost has like a a, a unity dash blur effect to the to the background and it, it it's it's a fluid transition as opposed to as opposed to some of the the animations like if you hit the super key to bring up the menu in plasma it's a little harsh sometimes as far as like it's not like a a a smooth fade in or a fade from the side or any of that kind of stuff it's kind of like oh menu and that's it (laughs) Like there's no like visual flair, I guess. Do you, know, you that, use desktop shortcuts to get to some of those, or is that all mouse heavy? It, it is very mouse centric. From like I've explored it for maybe an hour, so I'm still a lot of it's changed, and it's it's very different from what I'm used to. For prior versions were very mouse heavy. The the old versions used to have like an integrated desktop search, but it was on the, only on the main screen, and like you had to be in the right. It, it was very situational and how it would work and that kind of thing. So it's been interesting using it. It's a very, it focuses mostly from what I've seen on QT apps and whatnot. There is some GTK stuff in there, but for the most part, it's very QT heavy. And the other interesting experience I have been having is going back and playing a game that allows me to mess around with gravity and time. Ooh. (laughs) Ironically, a game called Tower of Time. That game is, I have put so much time into that game, so much more than um, Steam actually says, because I usually play the GOG version. I I just love this game. If you enjoy party-based isometric RPGs, 
so like Diablo 2, but add a couple of players to a party, kind of like the old uh, like Planescape Torment or any of those kind of games, but with a more action flavor to it. This game, definitely fun as far as that i I can't rec- i can never stop recommending this game enough and it's a, <laughs> here, here's the kicker it's not a proton game it's a linux native awesome so and usually it goes for about 20 to 25 dollars but they just put out a like a final i guess expansion a, a final update final chapter i believe is how they they worded it it's it rebalances the game there's new content there's this is a game that they've supported with updates since 2018, so almost two years of updates and continuous development. Nice. So, the, and the the Linux version has always been up to date with all the other versions. The GOG version has always been up to date with the Steam version. So, these guys really care about making sure that, regardless of your platform, that you have a good experience. And to me, that that is awesome and they have taken any feedback any issues from what i've read on about the linux version specifically uh, have been fixed addressed as much as they obviously can given that they're it's a small team that to me is that that's stellar support for a product so. i love supporting developers like that that are you know trying their hardest to make sure that not only is their game getting out there but that people are having a good experience on it it's getting regular updates that's cool what what ages would you say that is appropriate for for. I'd say that's more of a teenager kind of game. Um, just given teenage to adult. Yeah, just given themes and everything else. Nate, I'm assuming being more of the old school gamer, you know, ga- games like Icewind Dale and those kind of games would probably p- might pique your interest. So if if you've played any of those games, this might be up your alley too. I am an old school gamer, but probably a little bit older than what do you even think. <laughs> yes, I know you're like Atari 2600. I know. So if you'd like to continue this discussion about criticism and negativity, and you can join us and have a discussion with us in our discourse, our mumble, our discord, or our telegram. This is the DLN website for, for information on how to connect with the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. So for more information on where you can find me, uh, you can go to cubiclenight.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, YouTube, nonsense, and so forth can be found there. And you can find my ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find all of my contact information at dlnextend.com slash Wendy. And I just started a new Instagram page called Linux and Lifts. It'll take both of my passion, Linux and weightlifting and kind of combine them and and smash them into one. So I look forward to seeing you there. And as always, we thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everybody.